This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. The boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Joining me as usual, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Uh, Also joining us this morning... Former Washington Capitol, Toronto Maple Leaf, Sabre, Leapin' Lou Franceschetti. Good morning, Lou. How are you? Morning, gentlemen. Uh, enjoying a wonderful blue, blue day out here today. Uh, certainly, uh, it is a blue day, uh, uh, blue and white day. But let's uh, maybe uh, uh, relabel it that. Uh, uh, it is also Major Championship Sunday. The PGA, Phil the Thrill, is uh, looking to become the oldest champion and uh, major champion in uh, in golf history today. Nobody at the age of 50 has ever won a major championship. And who better to talk with than uh, acclaimed golf writer John Steinberger. He'll be coming up at the bottom half of the hour. Uh, we'll talk some PGA golf. Uh, but the big story, of course, this morning, uh, uh, Leafs uh, looked pretty good last night. Naz, uh Got off to a rocky start in the series. We chatted about it last Sunday. Uh, you picked the Leafs in five. I had picked the Leafs in five, I believe, although hesitantly I thought it might go six. But um, I'm not so sure that prediction is going to hold still, Nez, or is still Leafs in five. Let's, uh, let's get your assessment of what's transpired this week. Well, I remember when Dave Keon said they didn't want to play on Thursdays, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They ended up losing on Thursday. Okay. But I, I, I think they're I think they're fine. Um, they, they're picking up from the injury to Tavares, and I think they're they're going to win in six. Uh, certainly, uh, they uh, they brought it back last night. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into the injury uh, the Tavares. So many different things to talk about in the in the first two games, Lou. Uh, let's break it down. Uh, Leafs, uh, you know, they basically Thursday night could have won that game. Uh, Carey Price, who I had said a few weeks back, if there's if there's one guy who can change a series all on his own, it's Carey Price, and he certainly did that Thursday night. Not so much last night. Um, we 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 hearken back to last year in the first series against Pittsburgh. You know, he had a he had a he had a he had a save percentage, I think, of about nine point nine five six in that series. Stole that series. Uh, Leafs seem to have uh, consistently brought it last night, and uh, uh, over the course of the game, uh, sort of broke the Habs down somewhat. Uh, your assessment so far, Lou, of the first uh, first two games in this series? Well, uh, the first game. Uh... Montreal played more or less of a like a, a mid nineties type of game. Uh, they set up the trap. They uh, they let the Leafs come out of their own zone. Uh, they were physical, 
And then once they got the blue line, they took all their options away, and it really took away uh, most of the Leafs' speed. Uh, obviously, when you don't score on your power plays, you're going to struggle. Uh, I didn't think the, the Leafs came out uh, with the kind of hunger that they came out in, in Game 2, that they weren't expecting the, the Canadians to be as physical as they were. Uh, but the Leafs, uh, uh, you know, they, they more or less they took it up one notch uh, last night. They came out physical. They finished every check. And you can see that the Montreal uh, players were a little bit uncomfortable with that, uh, especially in the first period when uh, I think the turnover on the first goal uh, was, a, was a major uh, stepping stone for the Leafs. And they, they took every body that they could. Uh, it, it was one of those games that, uh, can they keep this up for another five or six games, or can they keep this up for the rest of the playoffs? Because the, let's face it, Toronto Maple Leafs are not used to playing that kind of game, and you can see that it's taken a little bit of uh, of their flashing dash out of it, knowing that this is the playoffs, this isn't the regular season, and uh, they're going to get bumped, they're going to get hit, uh, and teams are going to be physical against them. Uh, I like that uh, Austin Matthews was an initiator instead of taking all the uh, the physical abuse. Uh, but again, I'm not sold on, on the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, only because can they keep it up. And, and when you don't have that nature, you don't have that in your DNA, I'm just curious to see how the body's going to react after game three, four, five, and six. Uh, in- interesting analysis, Lou. Uh, I-, I think it was the consensus uh, that the uh, the Montreal Canadiens were going to come out and try to push the Leafs around uh, because you know they probably through the through the whole lineup uh, you know they don't have they don't have the skill level of, of the Toronto Maple Leafs certainly not at the high end uh, they don't have an Austin Matthews they don't have a Mitch Marner. Uh, you know you, you even go down into the fourth line of the Leafs a guy like Jason Spezza. You know who, uh, you know who was an important part of the Leafs' victory last night and uh, showing leadership uh, in in so many different ways. So the consensus was that the you know if the had the pathway for victory for the Habs was they were going to have to push the Leafs around, uh, and they you know and they made every effort. Certainly on Thursday night they outhit the Leafs uh, significantly, probably two to three to one. Uh, but the Leafs seem to be standing their ground, Naz. And uh, as as Lou said, uh, you know, uh, Austin Matthews, a goal and two assists last night, and uh, you know he wasn't uh, he wasn't backing down. He was an initiator as well. Uh, some of the other guys are stepping up. Foligno uh, certainly when he took on Corey Perry. Uh, Simmons is showing some grit out there. Bogosian. Uh, there's 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 a little bit of pushback here, but interesting to see what happens Monday night when they hit when they head. I was about to say the Montreal Forum. <laughs> no, they're going to the Bell Center, uh, not the Montreal Forum. Um, but Naz, uh, how's uh, how's uh, Leafs uh, pushback? Uh, your your sense of you know the Habs trying to push Leafs around. Uh, I don't think they're achieving that much success so far in that strategy, Naz. Austin Matthews has played very physical, as Lou said, and he's been very good. But Willie Nylander maybe has been their best forward in the first two games, and we always get on this case, but uh, he's had a really good playoff so far. He's one of the keys because he has to score now, along with Matthews. So look out for Willie Nylander. Big series coming up. 
Yeah, no, no, no question about that. Nylander, uh, you know, he, the, the, he's one of the guys out on the ice. He looks, he looks dangerous. You know, when he, you know, he's he's uh, when he gets the puck, he's you know he's he, you know he can sight, he can free wheel, um, and you know put pot, you know potted a goal. Um, certainly, he he. You know, you got to give credit where credit is due. He's much maligned in the Toronto amongst Leaf Nation at times, but uh, certainly his uh, his report card so far in the playoffs is uh, pretty good. Uh, Lou, are we talking about Nate Under here? Yes, we are. Uh, okay. You want, you, you want you want to get your shot in, or uh, well, Naz, hey, Naz and I think he's he's, he's provided uh, valuable contributions the first couple of games. Uh, he's doing what he's uh, what he's paid to do, and that's to score goals. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I really like uh, his game right now. He's uh, he's filled in that third role, and you, you know, you said nail in the head there, where Montreal uh, doesn't have the pure talent, uh, uh, probably all over the ice that the, the Toronto Maple Leafs have. And uh, you know, when you got your better players playing a little different style. Uh, and Nylander's coming up with the big goals instead of shying away from the, uh, you know, he's getting goals in in the middle of the ice where uh, the old Nylander would be always on the outside uh, perimeter. Uh, it's great to see, and they're going to need somebody like that because your Felino, your Simmons, uh, uh, players of that nature, your Angval is playing very physical, uh, Kerfoot's showing up, uh, Mackayev showed up last night. Uh, you're, you know, you need somebody that's going to more or less score those big goals for you. And uh, William, uh, as much as as we hate to uh, dislike his style of play, uh, you know, he's coming through in the first two games for them. Uh, certainly, uh, I certainly has. Uh, Matthews has been huge. Uh, certainly, last night he was uh, uh, criticized uh, at times in previous playoff performances. Uh, but as uh, Harry Neal says, your best players have to be your best players. And Austin Matthews certainly uh, was a bright light last night in so many different ways. Uh, the kid, let's talk about the kid on defense, uh, putting a lot of pressure on him, uh, bringing him into this playoff series. Uh, had a so-so game. Uh, I'd say we're talking, of course, about Rasmus Sundin, the Sandman, as they call him. Uh, I would say he had a so-so game Thursday night. I think he got caught um, uh, on both goals, uh, although I, I won't blame him for those goals. But um, he, uh, you know, certainly was uh, was in the thick of the action on the two Montreal goals on on Thursday night. But last night scored his first playoff goal. It seemed to uh, he, he certainly exuberant in that. His teammates were exuberant for him. Um, he plays the he plays the puck well. I mean, he's a smart hockey player on the power play. Um, he's got he's got nice little cute little moves and uh, seems to be holding his own out there. Um, certainly, last night uh, was an important part of the Toronto Maple Leafs victory. Uh, Naz, your comments on the kid Rasmus Sandin? Yeah, he uh, he had a great game last night. The the first game, he, he gave up a couple of goals there. He doesn't look as fast as I thought he would be. But, uh, yeah, impressed with his play. And uh, I'm impressed that Sheldon Keith kept them in the lineup. He could have very easily pulled them out. Yeah, that was an interesting decision, Sheldon Keith. And, uh, you know, he's looking like uh, he's looking like a genius this morning. Let's put it that way. Uh, 
You know, I, I, I guess if you sit the kid out after after that first game, maybe maybe it's, you got to get him back. If you believe in him, you got to get him back out there. You got to give him a shot to get his confidence. Uh, you don't want his confidence wavering. And if you sit him, maybe you're taking a chance with that, uh, Lou. Um, it, let's have a, uh, your comment on uh, Sheldon Keith's decision to keep him in the lineup, which obviously uh, they came up smelling roses this morning. Uh, but overall, the you, you sit a kid after perhaps a less than stellar performance. What uh, what are you playing with? Well, you know he, he's your typical Swedish defenseman, very very uh, shifty. He's smart. What I like about him is he, he's not backing down from any of the physical play. Uh, if they would have taken him out of the lineup last night, just like any young kid, I think he would have more or less he would have lost his confidence and put by putting Dermot in uh, to replace him. So, but the, the big key here is, is that he's leading that first power play unit, uh, which I, I agree to, to disagree on that because of you know they've had Morgan Riley there uh, all of the year, uh, the whole year, uh, but obviously Sheldon Keith got enough confidence in him, and they're cutting back on Morgan Riley's yeah. ice time because of his defensive play late in the year. Uh, overall, I think he's played great. Uh, we're talking about uh, Sandine here. Uh, and it is also the playoffs, so you tend you tend to be a little bit nervous your first game and, and do things out of character. Uh, he might have gotten his feet wet and realized exactly what's at stake and what uh, what the what the, the playoffs are all about uh, after after playing in game one. So I, I think he'll be fine. Uh, he might be a uh, he might be a fixture on that defense uh, going forward. Uh, there's, there's doesn't seem to be any question about that. I think the key to, uh, I, I think that you know, obviously the Montreal Canadiens coming into this series, they wanted to impose their physical will on uh, probably more so on the Leafs defensemen than anything else. And I think the, the idea is to get pucks deep and muscle the uh, Toronto Maple Leaf defensemen and um, they've sort of had. I wouldn't say they've been successful. I mean, I, you know, Leafs. The key to the Leafs. In my estimation, is you know if the p- Canadians dump that puck in, you got it. You know, we've got to chip it off the boards and get it out quickly before they can get on you. And I, yeah, I think they've been doing a pretty good job of that. Um, you know, they've got they've got back the interesting uh, Monday, Tuesday. They're at the Bell Center and it's back to back. And you got to think that the Canadians are going to come out Monday night. Like, uh, like you remember the old days with the Philadelphia Flyers with Bob Kelly, like, like the Energizers are like. So, so the first five ten minutes of the game uh, Monday night, they're going to be they're going to be hammering Leafs all over the ice, and hopefully, uh, you know, we, I we would think that we're going to get Leaf pushback, and then the game is going to settle down. Um, before we go to break, Naz. Uh, we uh, like I said, we've got Monday, Tuesday coming up. Uh, what do you foresee uh, happening? And we'll, at, when we come back from break, we'll get into a little bit of the uh, Tavares hit and some of the other things that are going on in some of the other series. But uh, going forward, uh, we're one-one. They've got certain things out of their system now. How do you see this series progressing? Well, I see the least. They've been very good on the road all year, and I wouldn't be surprised if they sweep Montreal in Montreal. For two games, and look for Freddie Anderson to play one of the one of the games. I think the second one, because I think they're going to go with him on the back to back. 
Interesting, interesting. I hadn't thought about that one, Ness. And uh, interesting observation you bring up. Uh, that's certainly uh, after after Monday night's game. No question, you know, with Campbell Monday night. But that's an interesting uh, coaching decision Sheldon Keith will have to make. Uh, like I said, hadn't thought about that. Thanks for bringing it up, uh, Lou. I'd like your comment on that. Are we going to see Freddie Anderson in uh, potentially in Game Four? And how do you see uh, how do you see Game Three and Four panning out? I, I don't see Freddie Anderson going to Game Four unless uh, Jack Campbell has a, a little bit of a downer and the and at least come out on the uh, on the back end of the uh, outcome. Uh, only because this is the playoffs and uh, you really can't afford if they do lose Game Three, you don't want to put Frederick Anderson in there for Game Four, knowing that he's only played one game. Uh, I, I just want to reiterate on, on a couple of things on on what uh, the Habs and, and the Leafs in, in Game Two, One and Two. Is that uh, Josh Anderson wasn't a force last night at all, and uh, the Leafs have to remember there's nobody on that Montreal team that uh, that will intimidate you other than Josh Anderson. And if Josh Anderson doesn't play his game, like he did, took a couple of runs at uh, Wayne Simmons and somebody uh, some of the other guys uh, in Game One, uh, the Leafs should not be scared of the intimidation factor uh, that the Montreal Canadiens bring, even in Montreal. Because they're all, all their forwards are the same size as the Leafs. I know the Leafs aren't used to playing that kind of game, but there, there shouldn't be any fear. And I think Mark, uh, I think Nick Foligno, being a teammate of Josh Anderson, uh, did a great job last night and stepped in on any close altercation that uh, that Josh Anderson wanted to get involved in. Because being teammates, sometimes you tend to see to to be friends and just kind of back off and have the respect factor for each other. Uh, that they were teammates uh, for a number of years in Columbus and knowing what Josh Anderson can bring. Now, game three and four, I think the Leafs have to come out and play the same style of game that they did in game two. Uh, they got to come out and initiate the, the contact because they know Montreal is going to bring it. But again, Montreal doesn't have an intimidating physical uh, team out there other than Josh Anderson. And Mark uh, and Nick Foligno could offset that. Uh, so Going forward, uh, they just got to come out and play, and then Austin Matthew has to play the same kind of game, and uh, all their fours more or less have to take that uh, that first step or that next step in solidifying uh, that they're not going to back down from uh, from anything that the Montreal Canadiens are going to bring uh, in Game Three. Um, on that note, we'll go to break, uh, and uh, later on in the show, we'll be talking PGA with John Steinbretter, uh, Phil the Thrills in the lead uh, down at Kiowa Island in South Carolina, um, and we've got some more hockey talk when we come back. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville realised we all have things we should cut back on. For me half-brother Rayul, that's ordering inflatable toys. For others, it's carbs. So Pizzaville made the extra thin crust pizza. You get the same authentic Italian taste as our regular pizza, but with two-thirds less carbs. Because the last thing Raul wants is an inflatable waste. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. Here's to every boy who thought his Bobby Orr rookie card sounded great in the spokes of his bicycle. He is only served to make yours in mint condition more valuable. And now it's payday. 
Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise wants to buy your vintage collection of hockey, baseball, basketball, football, and soccer heroes. Now's the time to cash in while the hobby reaches new heights. If you got them, we need them. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise. Visit our store online at mintink.ca. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Here's to every boy who thought his Bobby Orr rookie card sounded great in the spokes of his bicycle. His only served to make yours in mint condition more valuable. And now it's payday. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise wants to buy your vintage collection of hockey, baseball, basketball, football, and soccer heroes. Now's the time to cash in while the hobby reaches new heights. If you got them, we need them. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise. Visit our store online at mintink.ca. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live on AM740 in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM on the internet, www.zoomerradio.com. CA joining us this morning, uh, Lou Franceschetti. Gentlemen, uh, the big story from the game Thursday night uh, was the injury to John Tavares, which uh, when you had to watch it, uh, uh, when you first saw it, it was certainly left a pit in my stomach, um, seeing his neck snap the way it did, and we're extremely thankful that the report suggests that uh, or they're saying that John is going to be fine, um, no structural, no neck damage, no spine damage. Uh, it looked horrible when we saw it, um, and what came out of it is that uh, obviously there's a concussion, there's going to take some time, uh, and he also has a knee injury. Um, and then uh, what transpired after that, uh, of course, it was Corey Perry that uh, uh, ran ran into John Tavares's head. Uh, Tavares had run into Ben Sherratt prior to that. Um, Nick Foligno decided he was going to, I don't know if the proper term is settle the score, but he had to send a message. I guess is probably the better way of saying it. Lou, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you on this one first, and then over to you, Nez. Lou, you've been through this before. You understand the code, quotation marks, the code as they call it in hockey. Certainly uh, when you played, there was a certain code. I think Nick Foligno still subscribes to the code, although many in, in, uh, in, in, in today's world do not. 
what Nick Felino uh, did, which is he called on Corey Perry to say, "Okay, Corey, you know what? We got to drop the gloves here. I have to send a message to my teammates. It's my captain. I have to step in." Uh, Lou, from the perspective of a player, uh, was what Nick Felino did appropriate? Was it necessary? Uh, what message was he trying to send? Well, I think the message that he was trying to send, that he was backing up his teammates at all costs. Uh, obviously, it was John Tavares, the captain. And you also got to remember who Nick Felino's dad was. Uh, so he, he more or less said that that was probably instilled in him uh, as he was growing up. But uh, what Nick did was the right thing, but it was a silly thing in the sense that uh, the, the, the hit was, was totally accidental. It, there, there was no way that uh, Corey Perry could have avoided the hit. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Tavares uh, had those repercussions with the concussions, uh, the, the, uh, the, the bleeding from the, from the head, and, and obviously he's probably gone for the rest of the series. But uh, that, that was one of the reasons why uh, Toronto brought in Nick Foligno is for, for certain incons- uh, circumstances like that. Uh, and he was probably the only one that could probably do it because if a Wayne Simmons uh, would have done it, it just wouldn't have been the same. Uh, I think Nick Foligno is well-respected around the league for his gritty style of play at, at both ends of the ice. Uh, he takes physical abuse and he gives it out. Uh, where maybe Wayne Simmons a few years ago uh, would have been the same factor, but right now his... Uh, I can't see Wayne Simmons uh, playing in this game. I think his his years are, are are behind him. But again, it's more or less it, it was the right thing to do. Uh, and Corey Perry knew it, and so did Shane Weber. Uh, but they also knew that it was an accident. It wasn't a a deliberate uh, blow to the head uh, by Corey Perry. Yeah, I mean, I found what I what I found interesting. I mean, the reality is it was an accident. So. Uh, I'm, I, you know, I haven't played professional hockey like you, Lou. I, you know, you read about the code. Uh, it was an accident. I, di- I didn't see the point of trying to exact retribution uh, for an accident. But you know, Corey Perry, the ultimate pro. He, he, you know what? He, I think he dropped the gloves first. He knew it was coming. It's like he, he said, I guess, I guess. He, I think he almost he looked at Nick Foligno and, and he said. Yeah, I guess you got to do this. So you know, well, let's get on with it. Like uh, you know, it's like it wasn't a surprise to Corey Perry, nor did he seem upset about it. He, you know, he lined up there. He dropped his gloves before Foligno did. So uh, I think those two uh, veterans uh, understood. They both, I think, understood the message of uh, what what was going on um, from that perspective. Uh, uh, what, what, the story that sort of gets lost in, in, you know, it was the Corey Perry hit on Tavares, but it was the Ben Sherrod hit on Tavares that came before that. And, and that story is sort of coming out because Tavares is, is out. They haven't said how long he's out for his concussion, although I don't know if they've even announced it as a concussion. I'm not even sure uh, what the medical yeah. reports are other than he's okay, but they've said he's got a bad knee, and the knee will keep him out for two weeks, and now people have gone back and sort of uh, checked the tapes of the Ben Sherrod hit on Tavares, and there are some people who are suggesting, why isn't Sherrod not getting a suspension? It was a knee-on-knee hit, 
And, you know, Edler out in Vancouver pretty well got two games for the same thing. Naz? Yeah, I I, I found uh, the, the fight unnecessary, really. In this day and age of hockey, that was an accident for sure. And uh, I didn't I didn't feel that I didn't get into the game after that. It's a very tough uh, injury to look at. The guy went unconscious on the ice, and it's a scary feeling, right? But um, I didn't think it it was necessary for the fight. Yeah, I didn't. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things. Uh, you know, probably in today's world, you know. Um, I think there's a compelling argument to say that the world has moved on, and if it's not, if it's not intentional and it wasn't reckless, if it's just an accident, what's the point? Uh, I guess you know we can debate that one, and people will debate that one for a significant amount of time, and you'll find people that have opinions both ways. Um, but uh, you know, fortunately, neither fortunately neither Foligno or Corey Perry. I, fortunately, neither one of those guys got hurt in that fight. Because if one of them got hurt in that fight, uh, uh, you know, you'd have a different debate going on right now. Uh, so they sort of put that one in the past. Uh, gentlemen, we got about uh, a few minutes before we go to break. Um, there's an interesting series going out out, out west. Uh, the Oilers and the Jets. Uh, who would have thunk it, guys? Uh, Oilers are down by two games after the first two. Uh, the Jets seem to be doing a fantastic job of bottling up the world's greatest hockey player, Connor McDavid, and Leon Dreisaitl. Naz, what's going on out there? I think Edmonton's done. The Winnipeg Jets are doing the same thing that the Leafs did to them on that four-game winning streak that they had against Edmonton. They just shut them down. And uh, with goaltending like Winnipeg has, I don't think Edmonton's coming back. Uh, Lou, I would not have thought, uh, you know, the Win- the Winnipeg Jets limped into the playoffs. Uh, but then, you know, you got to remember, uh, you know, everybody, you know, if, you know, every, when you go pick who's going to win series, you know, you always, you always seem to pick the team that's higher in the standings. And if there's one thing that's that you know that's going to happen for sure in the playoffs, you're going to get upset. Um, nothing going into these playoffs suggested that the Winnipeg Jets were going to upset the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, not that this series is over by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but the Oilers don't look good right now, Lou. Uh, are they going to turn this around? Uh, well, we're going to have to ask Mr. McDavid that, uh, especially after the regular season that he had against them, uh, with Edmonton dominating the, the Jets all year round. And we know uh, we know Connor is going to be the best player in the world for for a number of years of con. But I look at it, the best players have to carry their team, and if Connor McDavid doesn't carry this uh, doesn't team over over the Jets in the next uh, in the next ten days or so, uh, he's going to have that stigma always against him that he can't carry a team uh, like the great players before him. Uh, it seemed like every time that the the old Edmonton Oilers were down. It seemed like Wayne Gretzky would, some way, somehow, uh, put his team on his back and, and carry them uh, to the next level. <laughs> so, uh, it's more or less. It's going to be interesting to see if Connor can actually do that with this uh, with this core of hockey players. And if he doesn't, uh, I think it's going to be. It's not going to be a black mark against him, but he's going to have a, a lot of question marks uh, going ahead. 
uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky had a few other guys that were pretty helpful. And, uh, like, you know, you know, you had a Mark Messier or a Paul Coffey or a Yari Curry and uh, Glenn Anderson. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a whole bunch of them. Uh, is it? Is it? You know, it, it, one guy can't just do. He can't do it by himself. It, hockey is such a team game. And, you know, the Leafs proved that, uh, you know, I mean, they're a better team with John Tavares in the lineup, but nothing suggests they can't win without him in the lineup. Um, Connor McDavid can't do it by himself, Lou. And I just, sometimes you just look at that Edmonton team and they just, you know, over, they just don't seem built um, in in the right way. Although, you know what, it's, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to count a team out after two games. Um you know they've got some other pieces on that team that have to step up. Isn't that isn't that the bottom line, Lou? It, it it is. But again, great players do great things, uh, and, and it's not like Winnipeg is beating uh, Edmonton with with Connor playing well. Connor has to step up his game. He's got to find something or someone, whether it's Streitzel or whether it's Hopkins or whether it's Nurse or whether it's uh, uh, Tyson. Uh, Barry on the back end, or even Mike Smith uh, as a goalie. He's going to find something or some way to carry this team on his back. Uh, whether it's one game to get everybody over the whole thing, but he's got to find some way of, of just doing it. Obviously, I, we all know that he can't, one player can't dominate. But Connor McDavid is the extraordinary. He's a generational player. And if you look at some of the teams that uh, Sidney Crosby played for when Malkin wasn't around, or vice versa, when uh, when Sidney was hurt and Malkin was there by himself, Malkin carried that load, and he did something or uh, something happened during the game that everybody just picked up their level. And I think that's what Connor has to do. He's got to pick up not necessarily his level, but he's got to make everybody pick up their level uh, and and get over that hump with uh, uh, with the Jets because the Jets are playing a great defensive style, and obviously now they got the best goalie uh, in the league. And he's playing uh, outstanding also. Certainly is. On that note, uh, we've got to go to break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be chatting some PGA Major Championship golf with John Steinbretter. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced the Medium Gourmet Pizza Special. Get a Medium Gourmet Pizza for just thirteen ninety nine. That's like flying first class when you only paid economy. You're up front, sipping champagne and stretching out in your luxuriously wide berth instead of having somebody kick the back of your seat. Then the guy in front of you decides to recline his Pizzaville, seat. Pizzaville, stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. Here's to every boy who thought his Bobby Orr rookie card sounded great in the spokes of his bicycle. He's only served to make yours in mint condition more valuable. And now it's payday. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise wants to buy your vintage collection of hockey, baseball, basketball, football, and soccer heroes. Now's the time to cash in while the hobby reaches new heights. If you got them, we need them. Mint Inc. Trading Cards and Sports Merchandise. Visit our store online at mintink.ca. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. 
They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. You won't remember that Real Space Media was once Real Tours Media. What you'll never forget is how they helped you, the real estate agent, sell homes. Or you, the business owner, show off your four walls. Real Space Media has made a name for itself, creating virtual tours and walkthrough floor plans using 3D technology that's light years ahead. In the age of COVID, what better way to see a space safely than through the digital lens of, what were they called again? Realspacemedia.ca. Got a space to showcase? Check out Real Space. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. Uh, we're live and uh, what could be better on a major championship Sunday, the PGA this afternoon, than to talk with acclaimed golf writer, John Steinbrenner. John, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, uh, Major Championship Sunday. How are you today? I'm great, thanks, and uh, great to be with you guys as always. It wouldn't be a major Sunday without <laughs> having a chat with you two. So it certainly, uh, it certainly, uh, it certainly wouldn't be, John. It's a, it's a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we always appreciate your insights. We can think of no better, nobody else we'd want to speak with on a major championship Sunday, John. Uh, this is going to be an exciting one this afternoon. Uh, there's two, uh, I think the two central s- stories are, but there's a lot of stories that could shape up this afternoon. Of course, number one, Phil the Thrill is in the lead. What what could be better than that? Uh, uh, and he's striving to become the oldest major championship winner in history at the age of 50. Uh, he uh, certainly could be better than having Phil Mickelson in the lead. I'm certain that's going to drive the ratings um, in, in in this era with Tiger on the sidelines. And I guess the other big story is the beast that is Ke- the ocean course at Keough Island. Uh, depending, they're already prognosticating which way the winds are going to be blowing this afternoon. And that's certainly could make things interesting. Let's talk about the first one, John. Phil, the thrill. Uh, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm, I can't wait till it starts this afternoon. John? Yeah, I mean, I feel the same way. Again, there's you know no cheering in the press box, and, uh, and, and Phil is a complex and, and maddeningly um, a complex uh, player in person sometimes, and you, you, you love him, you're not sure about him, you wonder if he's Eddie Haskell or a true blue, he he really is. But um, I, I'm unabashedly a fan of his play. Um, I think what he's doing uh, this weekend, this week, has been unbelievable. Uh, I left yesterday for a little while after he'd gone, um, you know, uh, ten under after birdie number ten and was five shots ahead of anybody. And I was like, wow, this is something. I ran out to do a quick errand. I came back and. He was on the 15th hole and down to 7-under, so I missed the semi-explosions on 12 and 13. But, uh, you know, unbelievable up and down on 18 yesterday to uh, par that hole. And, and with Kepka, uh three-jacking on 18, you know, Phil now comes into the last day. One shot uh, cleared the lead, and it's, it's unbelievable. I, I mean, people I'm talking to, all my golf friends, everybody's cheering for him. Everybody's pumped up about what they saw yesterday, they can't wait to watch it this afternoon. 
I mean, there's a real buzz about this, and it would be a hugely popular and, and very, very exciting uh, triumph if he can if he can seal the deal. And I think the ratings for today, he and Kepka in the last group. I mean, CBS has got to be thrilled about that. That's going to be that that should be just spectacular for them and and for all of us watching at home. Yeah, certainly. Before I, uh, with your permission, Lou and Naz, I just want to follow up on that, and then I'll turn it over to you guys. Uh, the other uh, interesting uh, uh, story, of course, uh, enmeshed in all of this is, is Keough Island, the ocean course, uh, which I had the privilege of playing probably about 15 or 16 years ago. I uh, still remember some of the places I found myself on that course. I think I was in that same place where where, where Mickelson found his ball under the wheel of that cart yesterday. Uh, that that sort of looked familiar to me. I, I saw quite a bit of that when I played there. But uh, all kidding aside, John, uh, it's it's one of uh, Pete Dye, and I, I don't know if Alice Dye was involved in this one. Pete Dye had a reputation of developing diabolical courses. Uh, it was the it was it was created in fact with the 1991 Ryder Cup, which was immortalized as the War on the Shore. Uh, that was the one where Bernard Langer missed the uh, missed the six foot putt uh, on 18, and of course in those days he had a if you recall John uh, he had to putt away from a spike mark. Remember when they used to have spike marks on on greens? But uh, your uh, your assessment of uh, of the ocean course and how difficult uh, the closing holes are and how much difference the wind might make this afternoon. Well, I've never played, unlike you, I haven't been able to play Kiwa Island yet. It's not for lack of invitations. It's just for whatever reason it hasn't happened to me personally. But um, I was uh, friends with Pete and Alice Dye. I've heard a lot about it. I've talked to a lot of people about the course. And it's really classic Pete Dye in many ways. I mean, it's a difficult golf course. It drives the professionals uh, crazy at times as they try to navigate their way around it. Around it, It's very susceptible to the wind off the ocean. Um, you know, they can play it at 7,800 yards or, you know, have it back on the tips like that, which they're not doing, thankfully. But uh, universally, it's described as one of the hardest uh, golf courses they'll, they'll be on the lever play, uh, those who play on the PGA Tour. So in some ways, it's a perfect championship venue. Um, it's in great hands with Kerry Haig, who sets up the golf courses for the PGA Championships. And and Kerry is, is just brilliant at doing this and and not and, and not trying to do too much and letting the, the course and what the architect has done really stand out, but you know making it reasonably playable. And you know you have seven under after three rounds leading. That seems about right. And um, so in, in Kerry's capable hands, I think it'll be set up beautifully today. Um, wind wasn't blowing much at all yesterday, uh, but that didn't detract from anything, did it? I mean, we saw some great shot making, some great play. And uh, I just hear from everybody who's ever played it, especially those who've played it in, under tournament conditions, that it's just as hard as it gets. And I, I love it because um, I love Pete, love Pete, love that, you know, this year you had, of course, the players at TPC Sawgrass. You've got this. Uh, you had Harbor Town right after the Masters, and then you got the Ryder Cup with the Straits courses. So uh, we're getting uh, kind of inadvertently or just coincidentally a real dose of Pete Dye at his very, very best this year with you know four um, four very, very big golf events on four of his best courses. And I just think it's a, a great tribute to, to Pete and Alice, who was there with him all the time when he designed and. 
and really fun for us as golf fans to watch these great players play on these really, really well-crafted golf courses. Yeah, certainly. Naz? John, are you impressed with uh, Phil Nicholson being at 50 years old and being able to hit the ball as far as he does still? Unbelievable. I mean, I I watched him hit a driver two yesterday. I just I was shocked. 51 years old, he'll be in um, you know in June. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wildly impressed with him. And and you know, he just had that one bad tee shot on on 13, but he seemed very you know kind of within himself and. He's just hitting the ball a mile. He looks very fit. He's obviously, you know, doing this visualization and, and, and seems very, very focused. And maybe that's going to keep him from being, you know, the kind of wild fill that we've known in the past. And, but yeah, I'm, I'm just staggered how a guy at that age can keep up with the kids and, um, and do so. But he, he certainly is. It's, it's a sight to behold what he's pulling off right now. Lou? Uh, John, I, I've noticed a lot of, uh, a big difference between Phil now and Phil maybe 10 or 15 years ago. His personality seems to be coming out a little bit more. He's more a little bit more fan-friendly uh, now than he had been uh, a number of years ago where he really he was, the, he was always the villain because he was playing against Tiger. But uh, I'd like to ask you two questions. One, is the front nine uh, that much different, that much harder than the back nine? And to, uh, it's amazing how one hole can really swing things in, in a different uh, in a different way. With uh, with Phil's tee shot, I think on 14 or 15 yesterday in the water with a commanding three go, uh, three shot lead and almost bringing the, the whole pack uh, back into the uh, into the uh, into the round. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, in, in designing his courses and in designing this course because, you know, Pete knew it was going to be a championship golf course. I mean, they barely got the thing finished in time for the 91 Ryder Cup. I mean, it was uh, literally the last bulldozer, I think, had been moved off the golf course about a week before they, uh, they showed up to play. So it was designed very much uh, to be a championship venue. And so, yeah, I think there's... The difficulty in the back nine, there, there's a way of really trying to draw out the best in a player as they come home, whether it's, you know, match play as they had with the Ryder Cup or, or, or metal play, stroke play as we have with a regular tour event. And, you know, you've got, you know, you've got the par three, 14, par three, 17, uh, par five, 16. So there, there's a, there's some real good holes there that you can score that you can, uh, Eagle in the case of 16 or, or Birdie in case of 14 and 17. But they talk about 17 being one of the hardest par threes around. And then, of course, 18 is a, is a big hole, a tough hole. And um, so I think, yeah, I think the, the back nine's a little bit harder. But I think that's the way Pete would want it. And it, it's really set up nicely, I think, for, um, you know, strong finishes and for giving people yet people have a chance to charge a little bit and and and, and make a, a stroke or two or three back on that back nine so um it, it'll be fun it'll be fun to watch and um you know we'll, we'll see i mean it's you know we're all going to be holding our breaths with phil because you never quite know him. we've seen him <laughs> come up short and come close in so many ways but i must say i was impressed with his his uh, steadiness his focus these last three rounds. I mean, aside from uh, yanking that uh, tee shot into the into the water on 13 uh, when he got his double bogey yesterday, he did seem very, very, um, 
he's very, very good. I, I think maybe it was 12. He had one hole where he had a, a, a very loose kind of approach shot. He was in the middle of the fairway and just missed the green for, you know, a little lap there, but he came back nicely. And I thought his finish and that, again, that up and down at 18 was just uh, out of control. And I, I think his focus is really, really good. And that's what's going to be the difference, I think, for him. Physically, he can do it, obviously. He's showing us that. And it's just a question of, you know, still going to be, you know, Phil in terms of blowing up at some point. And I don't know. The chances look pretty good to me that he's uh, a different sort of sort right now with what he's doing with his visualization and his concentration. Seems very strong. Yeah, we certainly uh, – there couldn't be a more fitting nickname than Phil the Thrill. uh, He can give you (laughs) thrills in so many different ways. Uh, uh, But I I think the the, the 50-year-old Phil Mickelson is probably not the same as the 30-year-old. I think he knows when to put certain clubs back into the bag. uh, he's had some interesting, interesting endeavors over the years. Uh, John, uh, really quickly before we let you go, uh, Brooks Kepka. I mean, this is this is a guy who knows how to win major championships. He's proved it. He's in the final group with uh, with Phil. Uh, he's he's got his own challenges. He just came off uh, some surgery. He's got difficulty bending over. There's Louis Oosthuizen, who's uh, two back, and uh, he's as probably as steady as they come. And there's some guys lurking back there like Streelman and DeChambeau uh, uh, five strokes back. But when uh, you get the wind up on the back nine at, at Keough Island, anything can happen. Uh, what uh, If anybody's coming, uh, first of all, Kepka and uh, uh, some of the other guys, where'd, uh, where do you see some of these guys breaking out from the pack? Well, you know, isn't it funny with Kepka yet again? Has there ever been a person who finds himself more underappreciated than Brooks Kepka? So <laughs> here he is basically playing on one leg in many ways, and he's hobbling around out there, and he's, you know, six under. It would have been tied for the lead if not for the three-jack on 18, and he's so overshadowed, uh, even with his major championship resume, by Mickelson, which I, I just find it unbelievable to hear yet again in a major championship that you know Kepka gets kind of overlooked. So I think he plays at his very best when he's being kind of dissed and being kind of overlooked. So I think he's going to be a tough one for Phil to be playing with today in the sense that I, I think Kepka's just he, he's a fierce, fierce competitor. He's intensely and immensely talented. And uh, that's going to be quite apparent. I don't know how they get on or anything else. Uh, Kepka likes to play fast. Phil is really taking his time. I don't know if that's going to uh, be hard for Kepka to take, but uh, I just I find it so interesting that Kepka once again getting underappreciated, and I think he's taken that in the past and put it to his advantage. Let's see if he does it again. And you know, Louis is, you know, he's something else. I mean, you know, again, I always you've heard me say this before. You know, the guys that have won before majors. I always give them a little bit of an edge, and I know it's been a while since Louis won his uh, Open Championship, but you know it's hard not to look at him and like his his chances as well. He didn't have a great round yesterday; shot even par seventy-two, but he's still a hell of a player. He's hitting the ball beautifully, and you know he knows how to play in uh, conditions, tough conditions, and I really think that's what it's going to come down to. So those three, um, you know, Phil, uh, Louis, and uh, Kepka, and you know, yes, uh, DeChambeau is always kind of lurking back there. He's just been so weirdly inconsistent to me after um, after his uh, U.S. Open win that I don't know quite, quite how to figure out what he's doing 
And a little dark horse is, you know, Brandon Grace, who's been close to four, and he's just back there three under. And, you know, he's been playing pretty well and pretty consistently, too. That could be a lot of fun to see another South African emerge um, as things start out today. And there's a there's a Canadian lurking in there too, Corey Connors. I think he's he's uh, maybe a little bit, but uh, to make a run. But uh, he's on the leaderboard as well. And in Canada, we're always thrilled about that. John, uh, it's always nothing would be better than uh, nothing's better than talking golf with you on a major championship Sunday, Father's Day. The U.S. Open's headed to Torrey Pines, which uh, always produces some great golf down in Southern California. God willing, hopefully uh, we'll have the opportunity to catch up with you again on U.S. Open Sunday. Thanks so much for joining us, John. Thank you so much, guys. Always great to be with you. Thanks, John Steinbrenner. Uh, you get a chance, Global Golf Post. Uh, nobody writes better uh, better golf insights than John Steinbrenner. Naz, Lou, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, there's some other stuff going on in the uh, in the NHL playoffs. The cream seems to be rising to the top in certain series. Colorado, the Avalanche, man, they look pretty good. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning uh, faltered one game, but uh, they brought it back. Vegas faltered one game. They brought it back. They seem to be the cream of the crop. Uh, Avalanche, Lightning, and Vegas. Uh, Naz, uh, your thoughts? We can't go go away from this morning without talking about Kadri's hit. You're you're absolutely right. He just can't help himself, can he? He uh, can't help himself. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Naz. I had that. Uh, I had that next on my list. Uh, Nazem Kadri uh, got eight games for this one. Uh, that's a pretty significant suspension because in the playoffs they deem it's almost like one game is considered two games. So in a regular season, that would be considered a sixteen-game suspension. Uh, he's got a history, Naz. Uh, you know, I guess sometimes. You can't, uh, you know. He lose, you know. In 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 the worst moments, he uh, he sort of loses his composure, and did this one as well. Lou, uh, eight games, a uh, little bit, uh, a little bit too much, or right about, or spot on. I think the the league missed the whole boat on this. They've missed it the last couple of times. Uh, here's a guy that's a five time offender. Uh, what I would have done, I would have nailed him for the rest of the series against. Uh, who they're playing right now, and then I would have dinged them for about 10 or 15 games because if you look at it this, Wally, he's not losing a single dime. Yeah, that's the other thing, yeah. You know, he's not, he hasn't lost a dime from doing all these acts because during the playoffs, you don't get paid. So if you ding him for 10 or 15 games at the start of the year, addition to an additional uh, three or four games in the series that he just played, I think he might start getting the message when he starts realizing that. He might lose maybe uh, six or seven hundred thousand dollars off his salary. Uh, but again, I really like Colorado. Uh, Vegas has really come to uh, to the forefront. Tampa's playing uh, to the standards that they're playing with, especially getting uh, getting Kucherov back. Uh, and you can't count out either Carolina or or the Islanders. Uh, your thoughts on the Bruins Caps? Bruins Capitals, interesting. Uh, uh, I, you know, I, I think Boston's got their number. Uh, there, there's something wrong with Ovi, uh, and I don't think the Caps' the defense and goaltending are are up to the standards that uh, that you need to uh, to move on. Let alone uh, win a championship. Anyways, uh, the clock has struck ten. Nez, a uh, couple of seconds left. Uh, you always get the last word. 
Well, let's hope the Leafs do it again, and uh, by next Sunday we'll be talking about them advancing to the next round. We certainly hope so. To all our listeners, thanks so much for listening in. Have a safe week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.